Hear the word of the Lord as it comes to us from John chapter 6, verses 24 through 35. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This passage is so rich. These paragraphs are absolutely packed with meaning. A preacher could talk for a week on just about any one of these verses. Indeed, a preacher could take all week and just agonize over this passage and become a burden to his friends and family, perhaps from Minneapolis, about what on earth am I not going to say? There's so much here. How do you pare it down? But for today's purposes and for the short time we have together, I'd like to arrange our thoughts around three statements Jesus made. If I may, I'd like to begin with the last verse. In verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And that's a little sentence, but there's a whole lot in there. I am the bread of life. At the beginning of that sentence, you have I am. When Jesus said that 2,000 years ago, the people listening to his voice would have remembered that story in the Old Testament where Moses asked God, what's your name? And God said, I am, I am. So when Jesus said, I am, he's saying, I am, I am. He's declaring himself God. And in the second half of that sentence, Jesus called himself the bread of life. The crowd had challenged Jesus to show them a sign and to perform a miracle and to do something like Moses did in the wilderness with the manna. Now, the story of the manna may be familiar to some folks here in the congregation, but you never know. There might be somebody in the house who's hearing this for the first time. So let me just explain. Way back in the Old Testament, 
In the book of Exodus, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. God performed tremendous miracles and set the Israelites free. And the Israelites escaped into the desert. And so, being a desert, there was not a lot of food out there. So God sent this stuff. And I I didn't plan on telling you this, but I've written seven sermons I'm not going to preach. So some stuff's going to sneak in. In Hebrew, the word manna actually is a question. It means, what is it? I grew up in northwest Georgia, and if this happened in northwest Georgia, it would have been called, huh? Manna is actually just, huh? What, what is this stuff? And it's amazing to consider that God sustained the people of Israel for 40 years in the desert on a question. And every morning, this stuff would appear on the ground, and the Bible says it had a light color, and it was kind of spongy, and it was kind of like bread. And for some reason, my mind just goes straight to tofu. (laughs) And every morning, the Israelites would go out and they'd gather up enough manna to eat for the day and survive. And this is so cool. The manna wouldn't keep. It would only last for a day, and then it would get all nasty and rot. It's like the Iron Age opposite of a fruitcake. And I have, to, I have to share this. It's so cool. On Friday mornings, God would send twice as much manna, and God would let it keep for an extra day so folks wouldn't have to work on the Sabbath, gathering up this stuff. And the manna came from God. It came from heaven. So people called it the bread of heaven. And In today's passage, Jesus calls Himself the bread of God and the true bread of heaven. Actually, Jesus calls himself by these titles throughout the whole of John chapter 6. And he's making a contrast. The manna was like this, but Jesus is so much more. Back in the day, God sent bread from heaven. But now God has sent something better from heaven. Jesus Christ himself In Jesus, God sent God. The manna was a specific gift for a specific people in a specific desert. But Jesus said the true bread of heaven gives life to the world. You eat bread with your teeth. It goes into your belly, and I won't mention where it goes from there. We receive Jesus by believing in Him, by faith. His Spirit goes into our hearts and it never leaves. The manna was temporary. It only lasted a day, maybe two. Jesus Christ is forever. The salvation Christ gives us is forever. And there's nothing in the whole world that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. It is is eternal. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, he was saying, I am nothing like manna. I am nothing like the bread you put in your mouth. As a matter of fact, get your mind off bread completely. This is not about bread at all. The thing that will give you life, the thing that will sustain you through the deserts and the hard times 
the thing that will carry you to the promised land is Christ Jesus himself. That brings me to the next big key statement. Actually, it's the next sentence. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The hunger and thirst he mentions, it's not what you feel in your belly. Jesus is talking about a spiritual hunger, a spiritual thirst. There's a famous quote from the great 17th century mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal. He said, human beings have a God-shaped hole in the heart. We try to fill that hole with all kinds of stuff, money, possessions, pleasures, but none of it works. Only God can fill that void. Another famous quote, Augustine said that 1,600 years ago, Augustine said, we are restless until we rest in God. I wonder if there's anybody in here who has felt a God-shaped hole in their heart. I wonder if anybody in the house has ever felt restless. Speaking for myself, I resonate with the actual words Jesus used, hunger and thirst. I lived the first 24 years of my life with a hunger and with a thirst. I didn't have the vocabulary to articulate it then, and I barely have the words to explain it now, but I, I, had, I spent those years with this longing, this craving. And at the time, I couldn't explain it. But looking back, I was hungry for acceptance and approval. I felt weird all the time. I felt different. And I wanted to feel loved unconditionally. And just so y'all know, I also had all the angst and anger and acting out that comes with such things. My mother, God rest her soul, she loved me unconditionally. And my dad loved me and still loves me unconditionally. Friends, family, mentors, I was surrounded by love, but it just wasn't enough. I wish I had better words for it, but all I can say is that my soul was hungry. It's a long story, but I ended up surrounded by a bunch of Presbyterians talking about grace. And I'd never heard about grace before. For me, for the first 24 years of my life, God was this cold, distant, angry character like an evil Santa Claus in the sky making a list and checking it twice. A list of my sins and just itching to deep fry me for being so sinful and worthless. But then you Christians told me about grace. You showed me how God loves us, accepts us, forgives us free of charge. 
No strings attached. Not because we did anything, because, but because that's just what God does. God is the one who loves. Here's a little exercise. Think about the worst thing you've ever done. Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross about to die. He looked into the future. He saw you commit that evil act. And Jesus said, I love you. You're worth it. I love you so much, I will lay down my life for you. When God opened my eyes and showed me grace, when God showed me that God's a nice guy, it changed everything. It changed my life. I mean, finally, there was something out there worth believing in. Finally, there was a God worth trusting, a God I could dedicate my life to. I gave you this quote earlier, but I'll give it again around 1,600 years ago, the great theologian, St. Augustine, said we are restless until we rest in the Lord. My soul is still restless, and it'll stay restless until that great day when all is new. But my soul is not hungry like that anymore. God's grace quenches a thirsty heart. In verse 29, Jesus said the work of God is to believe. To believe in Him whom God has sent. And a preacher could talk about that for hours. But frankly, I think God wants people to believe in Jesus. I think God wants us to have faith and trust in the Lord. Look, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what you're going through right now. But maybe, just maybe, you need to hear this message. Let me encourage you. Believe. Trust. God is real. God loves you, and God is in control. There's a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I've repeated, repeated this quote so many times because it helps me. Maybe it'll help you. Dr. King said, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. Now I know sometimes it is hard to believe in God. Sometimes believing in God is hard work. Life happens. You look at the news. You see tragedy everywhere. And you wonder how can an all-powerful, all-loving God even exist? And it takes effort to believe sometimes. And if you're having a hard time believing in God today, Maybe, just maybe, you need to hear this message. It's all right. 
In fact, I think it's great. Your spiritual struggle, your questions, your inner wrestling, that is the work of God. It is better to work at believing than not to believe at all. And for those of us who are not struggling or questioning our faith today, just wait. Having faith is like having a raccoon in a pillowcase. If you've got it, you're going to wrestle with it. Here in a few moments, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Here's a suggestion. Take it or leave it. You're going to get a piece of bread, but don't focus on the bread. Focus on the bread of heaven. Focus on Jesus Christ. And you're probably going to take that little piece of bread and dip it in some Welch's grape juice. And you're going to put both of them in your mouth and chew it up and it'll go down in your digestive system and the vitamins and the nutrients will give nourishment to your body. But don't focus on the bread and the juice. Focus your heart on the bread of heaven. Jesus Christ who feeds your soul and sustains your spirit and gives you whatever it is you need to make it one more day. And he does it with his love. Remember Jesus. Remember his life, his words, his death, his resurrection. Remember that God loves you and Believe. Amen.